Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. If you guys have your Bibles, let me encourage you to grab them and open them with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We are going to be continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark, a series we began a couple weeks back, and uh, we're focusing in on what Jesus said about himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He said, The Son of Man, speaking of himself, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So we're looking at Jesus as the servant Savior. We're looking at his sacrifice as well as his service to others. And uh, so far, the book of Mark is fast-paced. There's a lot of ministry and activity. Jesus has a lot of crowds around him seeking to be healed and ministered to and touched by him. Now, if you remember last week, we looked at a famous passage of Scripture in chapter 4 that dealt with two key events. One was Jesus beginning to preach in parables. And a parable is just an ordinary story that hides a spiritual truth. And Jesus taught the parable on the soils or the seed. And uh, the disciples didn't understand what this parable meant. So they went to Jesus and they asked him, would you please explain this? And anytime you don't understand something in the Bible as you read it, just ask the, the Lord and the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you and he will. And so Jesus said that the seed is the word of God. And that God's word basically takes root and makes fruit in a heart that is cultivated and soft and open to the things of God. And so uh, we were encouraged in this, and we also saw Jesus take a journey. Now, he's traveling all over the place, but this journey is really important for our study today because in chapter 4, he begins by crossing the Sea of Galilee. And so as he crosses the Sea of Galilee, he experiences a hurricane. I don't know about you guys, but I have a couple of umbrellas and goats and chickens that are like in Kansas now after that windstorm that we had the past couple of days. No, livestock are all safe and secure. I can't say that much about our umbrellas and a couple of other things, but um, it's just interesting how you read and study and go through the scriptures and then you get an opportunity to experience it that following week. So... What's interesting about this week is that we're going to be studying about demonic spiritual forces. So yay, all right, let's have some spiritual oppression going on this week. No, but you know, I think that there's some wonderful takeaways here for us because not only do we see Jesus have power and authority over creation, but in today's chapter, we see the power of Jesus in personal lives. And we're going to see him interact with a demon-possessed man and release him from his shackles and from his bondage. And I think spiritually, there are chains that are around every single human heart. That when Jesus steps ashore, steps onto the shore of our hearts and of our lives, then everything can change. You know, we're uh, celebrating or remembering uh, September 11th today, and uh, there's only a couple moments in your life where you remember exactly where you were, and you remember exactly what you were experiencing, and for, for us who were alive during that time, I'm just looking around to see who's younger than 2001, but um, 
we remember exactly where we were at. I was on board the battleship uh, Bonhomme Richard. I was in the Navy, and we deployed to Afghanistan just a couple months later to defend our country. But uh, you can remember exactly where you were at, what you were doing. It was in the morning and probably what you were eating because you're getting ready for breakfast or something. But I also realize that there's another event in our lives that we can remember exactly what we were feeling, what we were experiencing, and what we were going through. And that is when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And I pray if you have not done that today, then today would be the day where you can remember all the way back, you can remember God's faithfulness and goodness when you surrendered your life. And really, that's what we see in these verses where Jesus delivers and releases a man who's demon-possessed. He also restores a woman who had suffered many, many things. Over 12 years, this woman suffered from an illness that the physicians and doctors, all the money that she had, all of her savings could not help her. But when she touched the clothes, the hem of Jesus, she was healed. And then lastly, we're going to see Jesus resurrect uh, a dead child of a father who was grieving. Now, this child was 12 years old. So when this child was born, this woman began her suffering. And so we, throughout these stories that we read in chapter 5, some we know their names. Others, Jesus heals publicly. Some we don't know their names. Others, Jesus heals privately. And he's doing all new, fresh work in each one of our lives. And we're going to see Jesus perform remarkable miracles with incredible power as we read through this chapter. So, jumping into Mark chapter 5, verse 1, we read, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Obviously, this is in continuation of Jesus traveling over to the seas. He told his disciples, we are going to cross over to the other side. Now we are told in chapter 5 why he's going over to this area. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him. Everyone say no one. This is a very desperate situation for this man. Nobody could control him or contain him. And when we look at the woman who was healed by Jesus, no doctor could heal her. But Jesus does what no man or no treatment or no nothing can do when he touches our lives. And in verse 4, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces, and neither could anyone tame him. So he had this supernatural power because of the demonic spirits that were possess- possessing his body. And always, everyone say always. So this is serious. This isn't just occasionally. This is all the time, night and day. He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. What a tragic condition. No one could help him. No one could deliver him. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Now this is the, the demons that are speaking because we're told in the following verse that Jesus cast out the demons from this man and begins to have a dialogue or inter- interaction with the demons. And he said, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now we know that there's many because uh, just later on in the story, he's, Jesus is going to cast these, these demons into 2,000 pigs. Now we also know that 
a Roman legion consisted of anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers. So you can imagine the amount of oppression that this man was going through because of the possession of the demonic spirits. We don't know exactly the dynamics here or how many demons, but they are trying to exert their authority and power over Jesus by saying, who do you think you are? Well, they actually know who Jesus is, but they say we are legion and we are many. And so they're trying to negotiate with Jesus. And so he, they beg him earnestly that they would not be sent out of the country. Now, a large herd of pigs were feeding nearby in the mountains. So all the demons begged Jesus, saying, send us into the pigs that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission, and 2,000 of them ran violently down into the sea and drowned. And those who fed the pigs fled and told the people in the city. They all went out to see what this thing had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed by legion. I like this because we don't know the guy's name. We're not told anything about him. In the, in the phrase that is used for this man is really his entire testimony. His, it, well, the first half of his testimony in the sense of the uh, things that controlled him in his life. The person who had been. Notice it's past tense. There's the change that takes place when Jesus delivers him who had been demon-possessed, and uh, he is sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. This is a radical change of what Jesus does. And they began to plead with Jesus to depart from the region. I think this is one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. Here is this city, this town, this region, this area, who has just witnessed the powerful work of God to deliver a man who everybody in this town knew was just hopeless, completely hopeless, that everybody just said, you know what, just go away. And yet, as Jesus delivers him, they say, we want you to go away. And Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to kick down the door of your heart and push his way into your life. There's a personal invitation and a personal relationship. And it is sad and tragic when people harden their heart to the things of God. Basically, they didn't want to give control to Jesus. They realized that they'd have to give over their possessions and over their control and over their authority. And they weren't ready to do that quite yet. And so they said, depart. And the tragic thing is, is in the following verse, Jesus, in verse 18, got into the boat. He um, and when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Obviously, well, what's really cool about this, actually, I'd never thought about this, is this man didn't go through evangelism training. He didn't get a degree in seminary. He didn't spend three years with Jesus as his disciple learning one-on-one. I mean, in a moment, this man's life was completely changed. And as it was changed, Jesus said, okay, now just go tell your story. Now just go share with people the good things that God has done. And they were amazed. Let me just pause here and make mention of a couple of things, not only in the context of this story, with Jesus demonstrating his power and authority over demonic forces, but also recognizing some takeaways for us in some of those things that might shackle and chain us. Here we see Jesus 
powerfully release a man who was demon-possessed. Now, we got to talk a little bit about this demonic possession because when you read the scriptures, particularly the gospels, you see that this was quite prevalent in this culture and in this time. Now, we also know that there's other scriptures that talk about how we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but spiritual forces and principalities in heavenly places, that there is a spiritual realm and a physical realm. And for us to discern and understand the spiritual realm, that you and I have an enemy of our soul. And that enemy is Satan. Another word is the serpent. Another word is that dragon of old. Another word is the accuser of the brethren. He has come, as the scriptures have told us, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And so we must recognize that in this demonic possession that's taking place with this man, that these spirits needed a host of some sort to animate. They used the host of the pigs as their judgment. But first, they used the host of this man in order to destroy this man. You could see the desperate hopelessness that this man was in. So it also tells us not only the reality of spiritual demonic forces with Satan and all of his henchmen, but it also tells us why these spiritual demonic forces are at work. And they are at work in order to destroy that which is dearest to God. And let me let you in on a little clue. It's not possessions. It's not money. It's not things. What is dearest to God is you. It's your soul. It's who you are. Because the book of Genesis tells us that every single one of us has been made in the image of God. And we reflect his image and his character and his nature. And so Satan wants to destroy and mar and kill and, um, and defeat all that is good in the nature of God in you. And so he's possessing this man, but we also know that those who have the spirit of Christ in them can no longer be possessed by demonic spirits. Why? Because the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And there is neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities. That word principalities deals with these demonic forces. There's none of these powers that can ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus already said in the previous chapter that I have not come in the power of Beelzebub or in the power of Satan, but I have come to bind the strong man, which is, which is Satan, and plunder all of his goods and take back, which is you and I, take back to myself. So when Jesus is on patrol in your life, Satan no longer has control of you. You're delivered, you're set free. But it means that Jesus needs to step in. And when he steps in, what I love about this story is that not only do we see the demonic activity, the reality of that happening, the intent and motive to destroy a human life, we also see the, the, the scriptures tell us that Jesus has put on display and has defeated all powers of darkness and of demonic spirits through the work of the cross. You and I no longer need to fear. We have victory, and Jesus has defeated all of that in our lives. However, we can, from time to time, experience what this man experienced with the pain and the shackling and the chains of life. He who had been demon-possessed. I just think about my own life. He who had been 
uh, addicted to drugs and to alcohol. Or she, maybe use your own story, she who had been whatever it is. There's always a past tense. There's always a before when you met Jesus. And that before is filled with tragedy. Before is filled with hopelessness. Before is filled with despair. But when you find Jesus, then you realize that there's no reason that you should be hopeless anymore. Because Jesus restores that hope and he breaks those chains. Listen, every tragic shackle that you and I experience in life can be shattered by the epic supremacy of Jesus. Jesus shatters those. He breaks them and he delivers you from them. But the problem here in this story is that you have two different responses. One is of the people who look at their possessions. Basically, these people care more for the possession of property than the oppression of people. They care more for their own things. Now, one of I just think about the scripture that talks about Jesus as the good shepherd when I think of this story. Because here is Jesus traveling across the Sea of Galilee. He's traveling through a hurricane. He's traveling to confront demonic oppression. He's traveling to experience resistance from people. And he's doing it all for one lost person. That was the only reason for this trip that we can see in Scripture. He goes over to the other side. He steps foot and delivers this man. He's told to go away, and he does. And this is a powerful, radical, changed life. It reminds me of the Scripture that says that as Jesus is the good shepherd, he has 99 sheep, and one sheep is lost. So he leaves the 99, and he goes after the one. What I love about this story, it teaches us a couple of lessons when we think about the despair that this man was experiencing. It tells us that the, or it shows us the value of one life or one soul to God. That one life is valuable. And God loves you with an everlasting love. He'll cross the seas. He'll do whatever it takes to go through whatever storm it takes to reach you and to get to you and to minister to you and to say, all this, all All the things that people try to do to help you, to fix you, to mend you, it left you more hopeless, but I can deliver you. I can shatter those chains and set you free. And what happens is is that a radically changed life, as this man was radically changed, has potential to radiantly shine for Jesus. It was just very clear and evident of what Jesus has done in their life. So potentially, this coming week, if you have found Jesus, as we like to say, found people, find people, right? So that when you have been found by Jesus, you have hope. You are a hope dealer. You're a light bearer. You're sharing this compassion of Jesus. Now, what's interesting about this man's request, he wanted to go with Jesus, obviously. But God had another plan. And God is going to disperse all of us from this room in just a couple of minutes. And he's going to scatter us in all the various decapolises of East County, San Diego. There's the mountain empire, or there's East County. It's very similar to what God is saying to this man as he would say to us, have you found Jesus, or has he found you? Has he delivered you? Has he set you free? Has he given you a before and after story? Can you share that with other people? 
and it will be powerful. And it will bring hope to those who are hopeless. This really is the picture and the story of Jesus delivering and releasing a demon-possessed man. But he goes on to minister to two other individuals. We see a woman who is restored in her suffering and a man who prays for the healing of his daughter. Look at verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, And when he saw Jesus, he fell down at his feet. And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and will live. So just a couple of thoughts here on Jairus. I mean, one word told his name, which is different from the previous story. But we also see him recognizing and surrendering to the authority of Jesus. He falls down at his feet. He earnestly seeks and pleads and intercedes on behalf of his kids. I think just as a father, this is a great example for us as dads, for our kids. And I know that I don't do it as earnestly and as intently as this man. But uh, when it comes to tragedy or sickness or illness with our kids as parents, it just throws all reason out the window and we just want to do anything and everything we can to help our children who are suffering. And the best thing that you and I can do is not only seek some treatment and help from doctors, but also seek the treatment and help from our great physician, Jesus Christ. Is intercede on behalf of our kids for the challenges and the struggles that they're experiencing. And so there is this man by Jairus. Now you would think that the story would continue following Jairus' story. However, there's an intermission. God kind of, or excuse me, Jesus kind of, not really, but kind of, in the narrative puts Jairus' concerns on hold. And he encounters a woman who is desperate to touch him. Look at verse 24. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed. And now a certain woman, notice we don't know her name, had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So in a very similar way, but different situation, this woman is desperate, just like the man who was living in the tombs, just like the father who was concerned for his daughter. And as she suffered, when she heard Jesus was passing through, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of blood in her dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? I think that's a very interesting sort of question to ask. Not who touched me, but who touched my clothes? And with all the crowds, obviously Jesus is being touched by so many people. However, Jesus is sensitive enough to understand and to recognize those small details that we have in our lives. Very sensitive to the needs and the concerns that we have. And when you touch Jesus with faith, he is very certain. He knows and he's aware of uh, those circumstances in our lives. So he says, who touched my clothes? But his disciples obviously were like, this is pretty ridiculous, Jesus. Don't you see all the crowds around us? And he looked around, verse 32, 
to see who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. This is the third time we see these people fall down before. The man who was demon-possessed fell down. The father who was desperate fell down. And the woman who needs healing falls down. Maybe that's an encouragement to you is just fall down and worship him. Praise him. Thank, thank him. Surrender to him. She falls down and she tells him the whole truth. That's the next step, right? The whole truth and nothing but the, the truth when it comes to Jesus. Just share all your deepest and darkest secrets. Open up all the closets and get all, everything out of the closet. If you need to share that with Jesus, he's okay with it. The whole truth. Because he already knows the truth. And as we acknowledge it, there is a sense of healing that takes place as well. And so he says to the woman, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Let me just make mention of a couple of things with Jesus' interaction here with the woman who is restored through all of her suffering. Obviously, she's very desperate because being sick in a very open, public way, she was ceremonially as well as socially unclean. She would not be welcomed in large crowds or even to worship in the synagogue. And so she not only had the physical sicknesses and illnesses, but she had the emotional trauma to be a part of that as well. And obviously when you're sick or you're dealing with an issue, you do what you can to handle it, to, to, to deal with it, to fix it. And that's common and natural. And this woman went to the doctors. She pulled out all of her money from the savings. She spent everything and went to every single person, just like the man who was demon-possessed. No one could help. In the same way, the woman who was afflicted in her body, no doctor could help. Now, we talk about her being sick for 12 years, but uh, if you're sick for 12 years without any improvement, in fact, getting worse, it can seem like a lifetime. And really what we see in this woman, as well as in the pains and sufferings that we can experience, is that a lifetime of hurt can be healed in a moment by Jesus. In just one nanosecond with Jesus and by Jesus and through Jesus, whether it is a lifetime of pain and heartache and suffering and weak, oftentimes when we deal with this type of anguish, we go to the doctor of entertainment. We go to the doctor of success. We go to the doctor of chemical dependency. We go to all these other doctors of the world to fix the condition of our soul, but it is only the great physician of Jesus Christ who has the ability to heal our heart. To heal our soul. So whatever it is, 12 years, maybe your marriage has been struggling for 12 years. And it has just been on the rocks over and over again. And you want Jesus to touch your marriage. In a moment, if you do things God's way, through His Word, with the filling of the Holy Spirit, following His truth, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, being a husband who loves his wife as Christ loved the church, being a wife who is loving and respectful and submissive to her husband as unto the Lord, as they're submissive one to another, then God can heal a marriage that has been broken for 12 years. 
He can heal a person who's been broken for 12 years. He can, in a moment, change all that by just touching. Now, what's interesting about that is that there's so many people around Jesus with so much need that he's sensitive enough to discern one touch on his clothes. That means that accidentally bumping into Jesus from time to time in our lives is not the same as deliberately reaching out to him by faith. There are many people who in a Christian, quote, Christian society and culture just bump into Jesus. They got this casual relationship. Well, Jesus doesn't want an occasional fist bump. He wants an enduring embrace. He wants to be your close friend and companion. And when this woman found healing for her body, she also found a friend for her soul because Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Relationship and closeness. It's not about just bumping into Jesus from time to time. But there are moments where we just cry out to him, plead and ask, Lord Jesus, please work. You know, Jesus heals this woman privately. But notice that he acknowledges her publicly. Why is that? Because Jesus called her out, I believe, so that she would have no doubt of her healing. There would be a relationship and an acknowledgement that as she shares the whole truth, sometimes Jesus will heal you privately and along the way you go. Other times Jesus is going to call you out and he's going to acknowledge those healings in your lives. However, this was in the moment. Remember, there was a pause button that was pushed in Jairus's prayer pain, right? I mean, he was pleading and Jesus is going, but then he seems to be disrupted. Look at verse 35. And while Jesus was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can you imagine the heart of this father just sinking in despair? Now, I can also imagine that not only did this father's heart sink, but possibly his anger rose with Jesus. Why? Because he could have been responding to Jesus saying, why did we stop? Why didn't you just come? Why did we have to delay? And sometimes it's so very hard for us to figure out or even to make sense of the timing of God in our lives. That we think we should, he should be doing things quicker. He, sh- he should be doing them faster. He should be doing them in a different way. And we feel that our need is so desperate and so, and, and so great that there should be focus on it. But what about, I believe that this story is actually teaching the Father something more than it is showing us the power of Jesus to raise the dead. Although that is so very amazing. Yes, Jesus has power over the grave and over death. And the empty tomb proves that he has that power and that authority. But we also see a father who is on this roller coaster ride of emotion, but gives us a great example of one who humbly comes to Jesus. He comes to him first. Fathers, parents, go to Jesus first when you're troubled by the when you're troubled by what troubles your child. And he falls down and he worships. And when he does that, he gives us a picture of submission, surrender. Jesus, these children are your children. I'm so very desperate. Would you do a work? 
But he also earnestly pleads. There's a desperation in his voice. But then he confidently trusts, even though the emotions are up and they are down. When he's trying to figure out or to make sense of God's timing, Jesus, in that very moment where his heart sinks, his anger and and despair rises, Jesus says, when he heard these words, do not be afraid, only believe. Really, Jesus? Is that it? Only believe? Now, you remember in our last message last week, we said that when Jesus is present, Listen, this is important. When Jesus is present in the storm, fear is not entirely absent. It's just less potent. You're going to experience fear. We are going to experience anxiety in the pain and suffering and uncertainty of life. But when Jesus is present, fear no longer dominates. Fear no longer controls. Fear no longer makes us think, say, believe, and do irrational things. Fear does not allow us to look past the pain to see the promise of God. And that promise of God is that I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will work out all things for good. Even though it might not look good, I will work out all things for good. And yes, you will experience some pain and you will go through some storms, but I will be with you in the boat. Fear prevents us from looking past, just like it was for this this father who's difficult. And just like it was for those who were wailing and crying and pretending to mourn. Jesus says, do not be afraid, only believe. As they are walking along the road. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John into the house with them. He casts out all those who do not believe. He brings the father and the mother to the bed of this uh, child, and he heals her. He raises the dead. Just on a side note, actually it's not a side note because it's very important. God is in the business of raising dead things. And the most important dead thing is you and I. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me, though he or she die, yet shall they live. What is he talking about? He's not talking about reincarnation and living a whole new life on planet earth. The Bible said, is it appointed once for man to die and then to receive judgment? When the spirit and the soul departs from the physical body that we have because we're all wasting away. And I know that because every time I look in the mirror, I see more wrinkles and I see less hair. You are all getting much more beautiful and much more handsome, but that's just not the case for me. Our bodies are wasting away. But there is something that is much more valuable to God than your physical body, and that is your spirit and your soul. And your soul is that which is with Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Though he die, yet shall they live. See, Satan has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus Christ has come to give you and I life and life more abundantly. I think one of the big takeaways for us in reading this chapter and studying it this morning is that you and I can find help in Jesus when all hope is lost. I'm going to have our worship team come on up. And lead us in a closing song. But stay with me here because I think there are many takeaways and applications. You could be experiencing a hopeless situation. 
It could have been 12 years, 20 years, 40 years that you have been dealing with the same affliction and pain. I want to encourage you as we sing this song and close our service today in the quietness of your own heart. Reach out and touch Jesus with faith. It could be a little bit of faith, but, if, but a little bit of faith in the right person produces big results. And Jesus can do that in your life. I like what somebody said about reading these verses. I don't know who um, originally said it, but um, basically says, if your life is hanging by a thread, make sure it's tied to the hem of Jesus. And sometimes it feels like our lives are just unraveling. And uh, it's kind of like the, mo- the mosaic or the, the embroidery where we look on the backside of the tapestry and it's just filled with loose frayed ends and knots. But if we look on the other side, it's a, it's a picture. And God is often working in the midst of the frayed knots and loose ends of our lives uh, to bring about his goodness and his purpose and his plan. So maybe you're going to get an opportunity this week to tell somebody about the good things God has done in your life. And it doesn't mean that you have to have a theology degree. It doesn't mean that you have to have gone through the five steps of sharing your faith or be an evangelist. No. How about starting with he or she who had been and I met Jesus and now I'm completely changed. You could start with that, but we can also be encouraged to take any pain and suffering that we're experiencing on an extended period of time in our lives to Jesus for complete healing and trust his timing and his plan. Even when we feel like God's not working, God's not doing it, or he's not doing it quick enough. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning and thank you for the power of Jesus Christ to step foot into a person's life and change them and deliver them. I pray for anyone in this room who may be like this demon-possessed man, shackled and chained by things of this world. I pray right now as they talk with you, you would shatter them, you would deliver them, and you would set them free. I pray also for any of those who have been experiencing pain for a long time and you've been trying you've been really trying but it hasn't helped I pray Jesus you would do what only you can do in their lives God we love you we thank you that this is the ministry this is the work this is the Jesus the Jesus of the Bible the Jesus of Mark chapter 5 is the Jesus of today Right now, talk to him. Give those cares to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.